0: There's a famous saying that what got you here won't get you there. And a lot of times in business, especially us solopreneurs, we can find early success doing things a certain way and then we plateau. And we have big dreams, big goals, big hopes and aspirations of what our life and business and contribution can look like, but we can't seem to get over the hump. And we come to find out whether we like it or not that in order to get there we have to be different and do different, and that can be scary, especially if you're someone like me who doesn't like change and isn't very experimental. Well, today I wanted to bring on someone who's done much bigger things than me, who thinks bigger than me, who thinks even bigger than what she's already doing, and that is Layla Hormozy. She is the co-founder of Acquisition.com along with her husband, Alex Hormozzi. This business currently does over $85 million a year in revenue. Layla has just done incredible things. She was a fitness trainer, she dreamed of one day owning her own business, but she has completely evolved her mindset, her character, her belief systems, And she's really become a model for people wanting to transform themselves and achieve greatness. And what I love about this conversation is we actually unpack the differences between her and her husband, Alex, in terms of what they believe their skill set is and how they want to show up online and how they want to show up in their business and how we can get honest with ourselves about what we actually like to do in the business and stop acting like we have to be like what everyone tells us to be or what we even think we should be in our business. It was a beautiful unpacking of how Layla realized, even though I could do all these different things and run my business in a certain way, I'm wired for this. This is what I love to do, and I'm going to do this one thing. I love the conversation. We even got to talk about what it's like to run a massive company with your spouse and those nuances therein. I think you're going to love this episode. Layla was very honest, very transparent, and it was just a joy to unpack some of the amazing things that they have achieved and see the humility and the humanness behind it. So you're going to love this episode. Sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Layla Hermozzi. Well, Layla, I'm pumped to have you on the show. I was telling you before we hit record, it was hard to pin you down. Your team was very kind, very gracious. We figured it out. So just thanks for taking time out of what all you're doing, running your company and taking time out of the content you're making, which we'll get into in a second, because I know that this is very, very precious. So just big old thank you before we jump into this.
1: Oh, I appreciate you having me on. So I'm excited.
0: Well, I wanted to talk, I wanted to start with content and then really get into your story in a minute. Be, only because yeah. you you posted a video, I think it maybe was two or three months ago now on your channel talking about a shift in your content that you were going to be posting um, that you weren't going to be able to do all the, the content the way you used to do because you were going back into full-blown CEO mode. Um, and this is something you said because you said you're still going to like document it behind the scenes stuff, which I love. But this is what you said that resonated with me. You said you have to know what kind of season you are in. And so you knew that you were in a season that needed to change. Can you unpack like what that season is for you? Um, What does that mean? And then maybe I thought like bigger picture for everyone else listening, wow, having the self-awareness to know what season you were in might dictate your strategy and what you do. Even if you were doing something that's working, you're willing to pivot.
1: Yeah. Um, You know, it really came from, I felt like every every week uh, I was losing when it came to content. Like I felt like I wasn't able to keep up with the demands I'd put on myself. And to be frank, a lot of it came from, you know, when we started acquisition.com, Alex, he made content in our last companies and then he started making content we were selling the companies. And then I started making it a while after him. So he has a a large head start on me. And I kind of just picked up whatever, what he was doing for content. Like I was like, What he's doing for YouTube, I'll just like mirror that, use the same people, use the same system, do that. Same with Twitter, same with Instagram, same with uh, TikTok. And so I just kind of adapted his system. And one day I was uh, pretty stressed because uh, I made some changes internally to the team at acquisition.com. And so I was like, okay, I have to back, I have to be this role for the next few months until I bring somebody in. And that's what's right for the business, right? But then I kind of looked up and I was like, gosh, doing content and running this business, I didn't do that in my last companies. And so, and I also know what it's like to have split attention. What it felt like was that I had almost like two jobs and I was like, this is not feasible for me. And so I met with our director of brand and I told him and he was like, we need to completely redo what we're doing. Like the strategy that we have for Alex should not be what we have for Layla because the way you guys operate is differently. The mm-hmm. way that you work is different. Like Alex, the, his, his, position like we both define positions right in the company and in what we do together it's like he has way more time allocated for content as i don't so i try to fit it in and i have to seep it into weekends and mornings and nights to fit it in and so that's what i was doing and it just got to this point where i was like this is not realistic for me because what i know graham is every time that i feel like i'm consistently losing it's because i'm setting unrealistic expectations for myself it's like okay so i've set this expectation for the last four months, I have literally not met it once and I am working my freaking butt off. (laughs) So what is, is it that I should work harder or do I need to change my expectation? And so I was like, I need to change my expectation. And in doing that, we basically reworked the strategy and uh, to say like, okay, I'm doing a lot of these things, creating a lot of this stuff, we need to just have it be like, the team has to work around me, work around my schedule and they have to basically adapt to me rather than me adapting to this content structure we designed. And that's what I realized I was doing. I was adapting Mm. to fit in the system that they created for Alex. And so now what we did is we said, there's two different systems and we have to create one for Layla. And I think it was just because of this feeling consistently week over week, like that I'm failing. And I didn't think that that was going to be productive because the way I see content is, it's not something I'm doing for like a season. I see content as something that I will do Infinitely, like I don't know why I would ever stop doing it. Just like I don't know why I would ever stop doing business. Like it's just that's what I want to do. And so I also know that in order to continue doing something in the long haul, you have to readjust your strategy. And if content is going to take, you know, twenty hours a week, I will never be able to keep up with it. Like I will end up quitting. I won't do it because it doesn't make sense with what I do. And honestly, I don't know if it would make good content because I think my content's good because I'm I'm actually doing it and I have a lot of experience and. I don't know if I'll be able to even create the best content if I'm not doing those things. So that's where the decision came from. And I think that putting it out there was like almost like a relief for me because I just didn't want to make a change in strategy and then people be like, what's going on? You know, like why is the content not as good, all these things, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, But the irony of it is that actually my content has uh, substantially increased since then, (laughs) which I find so funny. And I like,
0: yeah, I was wondering.
1: Yeah, um, it's actually really found like a, I don't know if like hit a vein, but I think because something that I really didn't like about my strategy before is it feels like everything was very heavily produced. Like it's like, how inorganic is it for me to like sit in front of a camera with like four dudes in a room and then like rehearse a script that I wrote like three days ago. It's like, is that Layla? Or is that just like a talking head delivering like very plain like, unpalatable information. And so every time I would watch my videos, I was just like, oh, like that's not me. That's not my personality. That's not how I talk. That's not how I teach my team. And so the really cool part is that in seeking, in defining what season I was in and changing that strategy, it feels like I actually found this like really nice synergy where my content now is a better reflection of who I actually am. And therefore actually does better Mm. because, you know, Everyone can rehearse information on the internet, but I think that very few people are actually being themselves on the internet and putting out who they really are. And I think that being able to capture content in a way that makes it easy to be yourself, not hard to be yourself, uh, is a winning strategy.
0: Wow, gosh, I mean, there was so much in that. I, I 100% agree with you, because you, you talked on like two huge things. One is sustainability because you, I, I'm with you, like content is a long game. It's a, it's a, it's it's so much fun if you find the right style for you. So I'm always asking myself and my students to find what is a sustainable content strategy or rhythm or cadence or type for you um, as opposed to like, what could you do for 90 days? Anybody could do a lot for 90 days. So you really touched on sustainability, but you, I think you have to have the self-awareness, right? To know what you actually feel like you can do. So my, my question really to that is, did you feel, Was it like an easy decision for you? Like, I just got to make a change or do you feel, and I don't know the dynamic between you and Alex, let's say, but I I know with my wife, like, is there any like, oh, well, if he can do it, I should be able to keep doing it. Was that a real thing for you?
1: I think that I always want to be better and improving. And so for me, I rely a lot on outside eyes. You know, like I asked Alex, I said, like, Mm. am I being unrealistic because I trust him and I value his opinion, like in saying like that, I can't keep up with this. And he was like, no, you do way more in the business. You're on meetings all day, every day. Like, of course you can't do the same amount that I'm doing. This is my job. He was like, it's not your primary yeah. job. And so I think having that outside perspective and having somebody I trust that can give me that feedback is a good indicator for me. Like, okay, I'm being too hard on myself because I will try and do like three jobs at a time. You know what I mean? Like, and if someone was like, that's what it would take, then I'd yeah. be like, okay, you know, I'll do it. But it. I think asking people on the outside for feedback is really helpful when you're feeling, say, confused or stuck or emotional because they're not, you know, and they can give you an unbiased opinion. So I feel like that was a really big unlock for me because I, you know, I trust his opinion.
0: Yeah, I love that. So I, I love, and I, so I love the sustainability piece. I think that's wise. And then what you talked about, which was it, your content actually maybe seems more authentic now. Uh, and, and therefore it's more powerful now than before because it, you you're just letting, you're almost like Gary Vee kind of like getting it captured and like in the moment and, and they get to look behind the scenes and see what you're doing. And so I think, uh, kudos to you, I guess, is what I must to say for having the guts to say, okay, I could do this style of content and you've done it well. Like your videos have always been great, but it's like, I think this is more authentic to what I feel comfortable doing right now. And I still think it will be valuable and instructive to others uh, in its own way. And you had the guts to like pivot. And I think a lot of us get so stuck on the way we did something, especially if it has worked in the past to be like, eh, I'm going to do it this way. Cause what, what if you lose all the views or the momentum or whatever? So kudos to you on that. Um, Have you felt better in the last couple of months like in this rhythm, is it working for you?
1: Totally. And the piece I'll say to that is, content, if you engineer an environment where it's very hard to be yourself when you're making content, because Mm -hmm. there's time pressure, there's tons of people watching you, it's on the spot, you know, you're trying to rehearse something you've written, then I think that you take a lot of the like what creates good content in a way out of it because it takes away a lot of your personality Mm. because you're on the spot, you're rehearsing, you're nervous. Um, And so you're more concerned with saying the right words than you are conveying the message. And so for me, you know, going more Mm. to like the captured style, basically I'll I'll describe it like this, right? So before I'm like, let me tell you how to run an effective meeting. And now I'm like, just record me having an effective meeting. That's, that's the switch, right? And so it's like, you know, also, I think that that's more engaging for a viewer because they can see what good looks like versus me telling them what good looks like. You know, I can't wait until we start having the team on all the videos that I can be like, this is what a good, you know, CFO looks like rather than like telling them what a good CFO looks like. So I think that it's also much more powerful for the person on the other end. Um, But at the end of the day, here's the biggest thing I've learned, which is you have to figure out what style content, in what format, in what way you enjoy doing. Because just like business, like people like, how do you keep going? What keeps you motivated? I'm like, listen, I like what I'm doing. (laughs) Like, I don't need motivation. I enjoy what I'm doing. I have engineered (laughs) an environment where I, what I am good at also Mm. aligns with adding value to the company. And so you have to do the same with content. How can you Mm. create content in a way that adds value to the viewers? The things that you like doing, create good content that people like to consume. And so I think that a lot of people just, they're they are so busy looking at like hacking the algorithm, trying to see what other people are doing. I can't even tell you how many people yeah. just copy my damn videos. Whose videos do I watch? Nobody's. I don't watch anybody's yep. content. Not one person. The only person I will watch is Alex. <laughs> and so, you know, it's yep. funny because Smart. I think- If you constantly are comparing yourself to other people, trying to play the algorithm, trying to manufacture content to beat these other people, of course people can't keep making content because you've made it impossible to win and you're playing by other people's rules, not your own. And so I think it's like, you have to play your game, which is like, screw what works, Mm. screw what you see works right now um, and forget what other Mm -hmm. people are doing. What would work for you? What sounds exciting to you What's a way, what's a novel way that you could capture content that other people aren't doing that you just think sounds cool? And I think mm. that a lot of people just aren't using first yeah. principles to think through their content. They're just looking at what other people are doing and seeing how do I recreate that and get more clicks?
0: Yep. Oh my gosh. That's so true. And and we were talking before I hit record um, about my start on content right was in the music space. And this was 2009, 10, 11, and and I was making videos and I remember feeling, I remember one day like looking like looking at the computer and saying, should I be paying attention to what other people are doing? Cause I wasn't. Like I just had my head down. I mean, we were broke, right? We were on food stamps. I had a wife and a baby and I'm 26. And I'm like, I just need to find a way to make money online. So I'm just gonna work hard and just pump out content. But after like a year of making content, I was like, should I be paying attention to like what really good content looks like? and i just was like no i'm just going to keep i'm just going to keep doing what resi- what like feels and it sounds so like vague but if it, it felt very clear to me what was missing in at least in my niche the type of content the way yeah. i was going to show up and, uh, and I didn't pay attention to the big ones for years and years and years. And it, it worked so well. And people were shocked that like, you just keep your head down. Like you don't subscribe to other people's newsletters. I was like, I have unsubscribed for my business partners, newsletters, cause I don't want to see what they're doing cause they're doing too many cool yeah. things. So it, that has served me well to kind of just do my thing. And I, th- I don't think enough people say that to, to your credit. So thanks for, for at least validating <laughs> what I've been doing for 14 years.
1: Well, I think it's like, you literally probably just thought to yourself, what would I want to consume? right? And I think we're more alike than we think we are as humans. And so that's what I use for my content is like, what's content that I would want to watch? And I actually realized that a lot of the content that I make and I was making, I'm like, oh, I wouldn't want to watch that. Like I would, but it wouldn't make me Mm want to keep coming back because there's some pieces that are lacking. You know, like I was like, my personality doesn't come through in any of my freaking content. You know, like there's no, and so I, I, I think that using that to guide you, I actually think that it's much more, I think it's a more intelligent strategy than people give it credit for, because I think that some of the best work that people do comes from creating something that they'd always wish that they had, whether it's a business or content.
0: 100%, I love it. Okay, so you touched on this briefly, like motivation, like to keep going, to keep growing, like to take, you know, you guys are trying to take acquisition to a billion dollar company. You've done so much and you've had all these other companies before. Um, is it just the joy? Is it just the fun of the game? Is it just playing the game? Is it like, what, what drives you at this point? Is that it? Or is that it?
1: I don't know what drives me. Um, I think that like, if I break down what I actually believe, I think that I stumbled into business, Alex and I, we got We had a lot of things happen really well in the beginning that were really strong reinforcers. And I think that what happens is that a lot of people aren't good at something and because they're not good at something, they don't keep doing it. But if you get immediate feedback from something that you says, I am good at it, it's an indicator, whether it's money, success, whatever, then you wanna keep doing it because people actually tend to like the things that they're good at or they're familiar with. And so I think that I got a lot of really immediate reinforcers early on when we started in business. And that just like compounded to me liking business. Um, I think that I actually view it more as, here's the set of goals that I have as Layla Hormozy. How do I engineer an environment that makes it as easy as possible to reach those goals? And that is the question that I constantly ask myself is, if something feels hard, Mm. okay, well then, how would we create an environment that would make it feel easier? Like when people say they're not motivated, I'm like, well, Mm -hmm. look at your life. I wouldn't be either. (laughs) Like, look at who you surround yourself with. Look at the environment that you work in. Look at the people that you talk to. Look at the content you consume. Of course, you're not motivated. I look at my life and say, how can I engineer an office that makes me want to work? How can I engineer all the people around me that motivate me to want to achieve bigger things? How can I engineer anything that I consume in my mind to be things that only help me get towards that goal? And I think that things oftentimes we're looking at like, how do I get more motivated? But it's like a lot of the times we have to relieve ourselves of constraints rather than seek things to motivate us. It's like, just get rid of the things that suppress you before you seek things to motivate you. Most people have suppressing environments. They have Mm. people that tell them they can't do things. They have surroundings that make it very hard to work. It's loud, it's not private, all these things. And it's like, let's just take care of those things first and then tell me if you're not
0: motivated. Hey friend, we'll get back to the episode in just a moment, but I wanted to give you a gift for hanging out with me today. I want to give you my 30-day online income jumpstart guide. This is a four-week checklist, bullet points, to go from zero audience, zero customers, maybe even zero idea of what your business should be, to putting money in your pocket 30 days days from now. It won't be a million dollars in 30 days, but it will be money in your pocket. You will have figured out your idea. You will have tested your idea. You will have launched your idea and taken massive action towards building a business and a life that you love. If you already know your business idea, but you've been sitting around and you haven't taken action on it, then you need this guy because it'll walk you through a four-week plan to go from where you are to putting money in your pocket in 30 days. And If you've never figured out what your business idea is and you have no followers online and no audience it's okay this will help you start at zero I promise you it's a PDF it's fast it's easy to read it's not an ebook you don't have to spend a lot of time on this it's more about taking action and doing the right things in the right order and it's free as my gift to you so just go to grahamcochran.com slash jumpstart to get your 30-day online income jumpstart guide it's grahamcochran.com slash jumpstart now back to the episode wow wow that's so no one's really talking about that i mean that's so wise like it's almost like would you say because what comes up for me is people don't even really know who they are or what they want until they can remove so many of the external things like you said the negative things the whole the suppressing things and then and then they might be able to discover the type of person they want to become the business they want to build the life they want to build would you say that feels right
1: i think that people who feel suppressed have no discretionary effort to give to themselves or others and so if you remove suppression in all shapes and forms, people and things and places, then I think you have so much more discretionary effort that you can access to put towards the things that you want in life. And so that that's how I view it, at least. I think when I want to achieve something and I feel like it's hard, it's usually because there's an environmental factor that makes it, that's suppressing me in some way. And if I'm able to remove that factor, then I have this discretionary effort that I can access to put towards this thing. Does that
0: make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. I love that. A sub- subtraction first, and then and then addition and change for after that. I love that. Um, yeah. So let's talk about what would you say? And I'm just curious, in your own words, like what would you say is your like secret sauce and your biggest value that you bring to the company and to companies in general? Like everyone's got their own thing that they're really good at. Um, What do you think it is that for you that brings value to the company the most that is probably what you love the most? And what can we learn from that too, whether we need to be that in our own business or have someone on our team that does what you do?
1: I think that it's probably, I have been this way for a long time and then I stumbled into like the role of being CEO because I already naturally was inclined to these things, which is like, I love encouraging developing and helping people. Like genuinely at the end of the day, like when I met Alex, I was like, I remember he asked like, what do you wanna do? And I was like, I just truly am really passionate about helping people. And I remember he said like, could you be passionate about helping people and making money? (laughs) Um, Because I had taken like, (laughs) I had taken a step back in my career that I thought I would be able to learn more to help people more, but I was making way less money. And I thought that was a really good frame to think through, but like, I think at the end of the day, like I, I genuinely, I guess like, I don't know if it's upbringing or what, I can't tell you like the cause, but I think I really enjoy helping people develop, helping them win. Um, I don't like winning alone. And I think that that's actually a big advantage for me. Like I mm. look at the platform of acquisition.com and I think to myself, like, how can I use this platform to make as many people, employees of acquisition.com companies of acquisition.com and consumers of acquisition.com content, make all of them wealthy and as whatever you want to say, known as they want to be. It's like, I have two things that I can do, which is like, I know how to, you know, uh, drive revenue. And I also know how to get people like mildly known or whatever. So it's like, how can I use those platforms and this platform to help everybody win? Because I think at the end of the day, it's like, if you win the race and it's just you standing there alone, it's like, it's not fun to celebrate alone. And so I view things through that lens. And I think that a lot of people only build things to serve themselves. And ironically, they don't even serve themselves because I think it's really hard to go far without help. But the only way that people are going to help you achieve anything is if you help them at the same time. I think it's a mutual exchange of value. And so I look at every person that is an employee of acquisition.com. It's a mutual exchange of value. Like just because I pay them money does not mean I get any discretionary effort from them. How I treat them and how much I help them equates to how much discretionary effort I get. The companies at acquisition.com, just because I invest in those companies does not mean that they're suddenly going to grow. How much discretionary effort I give those founders and those teams equates to how much more growth I'm going to see with those companies. And I think that It's all of the quote, like soft stuff that people don't want to do, you know, culture, talent management, um, all of those things. But I I don't, I have literally never seen it not be the reason why a company fails, like not having those things. Like every company that doesn't have those things in place fails eventually. The companies that stand the test of time have something to that extent in place. And that's the reason why they're able to exist.
0: Yeah, so good. Can you? I love. Can you speak to this? Because I think this is one of the the shadow sides of like what I do, and even what I teach. Right. I'm helping people primarily start a solopreneur type business where they don't need anybody else, and there's enough tools and 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 free and paid to to create a six, multi-six, even seven figure business without a single person on your team. Really, you could get away with it. And and oh. even those that have somewhat of a team, right? They might just be like contractors here and there. Um, so I think one of the, the negatives of that is it's very, um, self oriented by the nature of it. And for someone like me, I can speak only for myself. I mean, I hear my students talk about this as well and everyone's personality is different, but I'm introverted by nature and I'm happy to like whittle away at something on my own. And I didn't have any experience running a company with, Team, like I didn't want to be a business owner. I wanted to be a rock star, and that dream kind of died. And I became an audio engineer, and then I became a YouTuber, and then a content creator. And so I've always done stuff by myself, and so I've been comfortable with that. And then you hit some ceilings, and then you realize that you don't know everything, and you know. So I I feel like there is that shadow side of like either we're going to limit our growth or potential, or to what your point was: you you get to the end of you win, maybe the race you set out to run but you're, you're wanted alone. So can you talk to like a solopreneur like me? I mean, I have more of a team now, but like that type of person that I'm helping coach, what are the blind spots we're not seeing as solopreneurs and how, what about, you know, how can we break past our fears of like, I don't know how to hire, I don't know who to hire first. I don't even know how to think that big. What would you say to someone like me?
1: I would break it down to this, which is one, I think there's preferences, right? some people would prefer not to have to interact with people as much. And so that's maybe what they want to do. They're like, I would just like to be alone. I don't want to. And that's trade off. Right? So it's like, I make a trade off of the fact that my time is not necessarily of my own all the time because I run a large company and I have lots of companies I'm responsible for. I don't have like, my calendar is not free, right? It is booked every day, all day. Now, the, the other side of that is that I have so many people I get to celebrate with. I have so many people who I'm close to. I have so many amazing relationships that I like cherish. And so I would make that trade off all day, but some people would not. They say, I prefer being alone. I prefer having autonomy of my own time. I don't want to have things on my calendar. I would rather spend that time with my kids. It might be a season of life. It might just be a preference in general. I would say that for a lot of people, um, The skill of starting a business and growing a team, growing a team specifically, um, you have to acquire a lot of skills at once that you typically don't have. And if somebody hasn't had a job in which they have had to start from scratch a team and grow it, then they likely don't have the skill of building a team when they start a company. And the irony of it is that it's not one skill that's required, but there's like five skills that are required to effectively build a team. And so what happens is that most people try and they fail the first time. Something doesn't work out. Somebody does something shady. Someone steals client. Like there's so many things that happen, right? And so the first time that they do it, the first thing that happens is negative. And so then they have a negative association with having a team. And then maybe they try again and they have two of the the five skills, but they don't have five of five. And then they have another incident that happens that's negative and they build another negative association with having a team. And so what happens is that if you don't continue until you have all five of five skills to build a team. You don't break through that barrier. All that you've done is accumulate a lot of evidence to say that building a team is really hard and you might be better off by yourself. You know what I mean? And I think that I just look at it as Mm -hmm. evidence. It's like, you have more evidence to show you that building a team is hard and doesn't equate, if anything, you've lost money hiring this team, (laughs) right? They haven't made you money, they haven't made your life easier. They've made it harder, you've spent more money, it sucks. And so the, the tough part is that I, like, some people have a very short, uh, what you would call like extinction curve. So what it means is that like when a negative reinforcer happens, they just immediately back off. They're like, I'm not doing that again. Some people, when you say someone's persistent, they have a longer extinction curve, meaning they will try six more times until the thing works. And those people who have higher persistence Then they get to the other side and then they can create a positive association with having a team. But if you don't, if you have a short extinction curve and it takes one negative event to deter you from building a team, then, I mean, don't build a team, don't build anything because you're just going to end up quitting. And so I think it really just comes down to, can you get through the first five or six, you know, negatively reinforcing incidences that happen when you build a team, or can you try and acquire the skills ahead of time and, make your, and at least get yourself informed about what it takes to build a team so you can maybe skip through some of those so it's not so painful so you can get to the other side and actually, you know, I would say like uh, recognize the fruits of what it means to actually have a team that makes you money and makes your life easier. But it's just like most people just don't get over that hump. And so I don't blame them because it's like yeah. it is shitty in the beginning. And for most people who have never done it. It's a terrible experience.
0: So... I love that. And I think that's an honest answer. So I I appreciate that because I feel like people have a either fear of hiring and they're starting to build a team and start, you know, learning the skills of managing a team. And so they already know it's going to be hard. And then, um, but they might've been sold the bill of goods from a coach or somebody that like, oh, you delegate it and all your problems go away. Like other people do the work for you. And, And like, and so they want that dream. And there's this, this mushy middle of what you just described of like the, self-education and, and oh it's more complicated than i thought but that doesn't mean you don't do it or some version of it it's just do you have the grit to stay in there i love that extinction curb um would you say like go back in time so like pre like gym launch era for you guys like what was the skill or what was the belief that you you wish you had back then if you could go, go back and give layla that belief that she needed back then that would have helped you push through even, I mean, you guys have had a lot of success. So, I mean, you don't have to say the story needs to be rewritten, but like, what do you wish you knew skill set or belief wise before, you know, the gym launch, let's say, that you didn't have, that you do have now?
1: I would say that a lot of the pain that I had to bear in growing gym launch came from not being able to manage the dichotomy of building a team and rather looking at team and you know lack of performance as a problem. So I look at management as something that ex- exists on, and it's basically like either you're micromanaging people or you give them complete freedom. And either end of that results with usually negatives. And the, the ideal is to be somewhere in the middle. And so I really look at it as like, you know, micromanaging people versus like giving full autonomy. It's like all the things that exist in management, like having people that are mismanaged is not a problem. It's really a a dichotomy that the leader needs to learn how to manage of how do I not give people complete freedom, but also not overly micromanage people. How do I meet in the middle and manage people in a way that makes doing their job easier, not harder? And I don't think that I understood that. Mm. I think that I used to default towards Uh, in the beginning, I think I gave a lot of freedom and autonomy, like almost like too much because I also was young. I didn't know what I was doing. And so I was like, just go in there and do it. I don't don't know. I have no fucking idea, you know? And then on the other end, it's like, then I felt like, Hey, you guys aren't doing a good job. So then I would put in a ton of mechanisms. I'd overly manage people. And then I realized that both of those don't help people do their job. It's like my job as a leader, right? And anyone's job as like a manager is like, how do I make it easier for them to do their job? not harder. And that was a something that I didn't understand at that point in time. Okay, let's look at that then. How could I make it easier? Yeah. If you look at like the, the angle of taking it all the way to like complete freedom and autonomy, that's not easy because typically it lacks clarity. They're not clear on what they need to do when you just say, go figure it out. And I think that one of the main things a leader needs to be able to do is to provide clarity. Whereas on the other end, micromanaging some someone, what does that do? Well, that makes them feel suppressed. Do people who feel suppressed perform at a high level? Yeah. No. So you don't get the best out of people. And so it's yeah. it's tough because I think what I always try to do with people is get them to accelerate. Like, you don't need to go to either end of the spectrum. Like, let's just start from the middle because that's really what people need. Um, but I don't think that I understood, like, what is the purpose of a leader or manager to make, mm. to make it easier for the people that report to them to do their job. And that belief or i guess you could say like way in which i view work is what has helped me a ton because i look at it like how can i make it easier anything that falls under that scope is what i would attribute to being like my responsibility
0: i love that it's so wise and i've definitely done both extremes in in team uh and i've literally was having a conversation with my wife about that today uh about uh, a certain individual, and I was like, "Man, if, if like I, I, I know I've micromanaged so much in the past that like I default to the other, which is probably abdicating way too much responsibility, and and to just to like get me off the hook. But is it really helping them? And it's not helping me because like I'm like we're not getting where we need to go. So I feel I feel both of those extremes. So that's wise. I love that. Um, and that feels like, and that's probably why that's probably why so many leaders fail in in companies because it's such a delicate dance and balance to get right It probably requires so much like you mentioned soft skills but really so many uh human skills to be able to read people know what they need know what you need be able to to it's not everyone's the same you can't even treat them exactly the same or even on the same day (laughs) like certain days we're just not feeling the same so there's a lot there
1: yeah there's a lot and i think that it's a very tedious job to be a leader of people like there's a lot of repetition you train someone up on one thing and then it's like two weeks later, there's somebody else who needs to get trained up on like something two degrees different. (laughs) Like you have to have a really high threshold for, I would say like boredom and repetition.
0: (laughs) I love that quote of the day. I love that. Um, Okay, real quick. I I know I want to respect your time here, but I I do want to quickly ask you about uh, your marriage because it's really unique. Like you and Alex getting to work together, getting to do a lot together. I'm always fascinated by, couples or families that run businesses together. Um, Cause you know, you always hear, you know, don't ever go into business, you know, with friends or family. And I have lots of friends that actually have gone into business, not only with their spouse, but with their families as well. And hiring moms and dads and brothers and sisters. It's pretty beautiful. So what would you say like uh, real quick? I, I think it's working really, really well from what I can tell. And, and you guys seem to have a lot of fun. What, what works and what doesn't work though, for you guys to balance like, hey, it's, it's work mode and we're doing work. Um, and then it's marriage mode and we're working on the relationship or the, or the hats. Like what, what do you find is the, what works for you guys? Or does that work really well? Or what's a challenge for you guys as a married couple trying to, you want to keep your marriage healthy and strong, but you also want to give the company what it needs. So maybe you could talk to that a bit.
1: You know, it's an interesting question. I think I have a little bit different of a viewpoint on it because I think that in the beginning, we got a lot of advice that was like, you know, plan one date night a week. Don't talk about work at dinner when you go on the date. Like, you know, when you get done with work, don't like go talk about it. And for me and Alex specifically, that doesn't work. Like I'm way too far obsessive with what we do to to not talk about all the time. And so is he. And so we actually both love talking about all the time and I think that that's one thing that is unique to us that is, and the reason I say it is because that is so not what works for many people's marriages. But I think that what I've learned in, you know, building our marriage, and I, I would say like it just continues, like get exponentially better year over year, is most of the things that other people have given me as advice do not work for us. In fact, like our marriage is such a like compilation of just like what works for Layla and Alex, not even like what works for marriages. And I think that a lot of people Mm -hmm. look at other people's relationships and say like, we should do what they're doing. Like what are Layla and Alex doing? Cause that could work for us. But Layla and Alex, every time that we tried to look at somebody else's marriage and say like, let's try that, it felt like it was imposing upon like our preferences and what we liked doing. And then I think again, it's first principles thinking of like, What do we want for our marriage? And does it, here's the thing. Mm. Layla and Alex are obsessive of talking about work and talk about work all the time. Is that a problem if they both enjoy it?
0: Yeah, it's a good question.
1: Right? I I would say not. And if somebody labels that as a problem, like I'm okay with that. I don't care if they think it's a problem. I like it. It's a problem I'll take and I'll keep any day. So I think that a lot of it has been, we provide, we've created an environment in our marriage where both of us allow the other person to fully be themselves. And I think that we both have zero expectations of each other, but we are 100% committed to the marriage and 100% put our foot, foot forward, our best foot forward for the other person. I expect nothing. If Alex wants to work every day from like 6 a.m. to midnight for the next three weeks, it wouldn't bother me. Now, I would say on a long enough time horizon, like, is that the rest of our lives? But I think that a lot of people, like, we put rules in place for relationships. But i think that i value our marriage and i value our business now does that mean that every day is a balance between the two no but i think that on a long enough time horizon there is quote balance between the two in terms of like there are weeks that maybe are lighter with work therefore we get more time with our marriage and then there are weeks that are really heavy with work and so we don't get much time for our marriage i actually don't mind that because i like being able to miss my husband i like the time where I feel like, oh, I want to spend time with Alex because I also know the other side of that, which is when you have too much time with your spouse, it starts to feel like, oh gosh, I've seen enough of them. I got to go get some time with somebody else. And so I actually think that the dynamic that we have, we have something we get to work on together that me growing and improving myself uh, is beneficial for Alex and Alex growing and improving himself is beneficial for me because we both put those skills into one thing that benefits both of us. I think that 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 could be said for kids It could be said for building a house. It could be said for like planting a garden together. Like I think we have something mutual that if both of us increase our skill sets in some way and then pour it into this third entity and then the entity benefits both of us, I think that is a really great dynamic for a marriage. Um, But at the same time, you know, I think you have to figure out what works for you. You know, like I think a lot of people ask, like, how do you guys make it work? And I'm like, you know, I was super... um, like i have engineered my entire life toward my career and what i want to build and alex has done the same and then we just met each other and then do it together now and it works for us but i don't think that works for most people
0: yeah it's a beautiful it's a beautiful answer it's honest i, I really appreciate you sharing i, pre, I respect you guys um f- figuring out what works for you um and i love how you've said this twice now but you know first order thinking and not being so prescriptive about things. Well, that's what they do. Therefore, I'm going to take the same prescription for me. You really, it's almost, it's, you're doing the harder work of what really works for us. I and mean, what do we really value and want? I just think there's a lot of wisdom there. I love it so much. I want to respect your time. I have one final question I ask on every episode. This can go in a completely different direction. It's kind of a philosophical one, it's something I call the golden rule segment. And, uh, and so usually like uh, you know, if, if my guest has kids, I'll ask him about it with kids, but it could be, you know, nieces, nephews, anybody that you, you care about this person so much. Right. And the, the people that you're pouring into and even employees that you have where like, you're probably giving them wisdom and counsel all the time. And you really wish they would remember and, and all the things you're teaching them because you have a lot to share. But like my kids, I know they're going to forget 99% of the things I teach them or share or whatever. Um but there's some things that I want them to remember forever. So if there was one piece of advice that you would want the people that you love to remember and carry with them forever, sort of like a golden rule. If they forgot everything else you taught them but this one piece of advice, what would you say that would be?
1: I would say said most simply and you've probably heard this before, but I really think about it all the time. It's just like leave everyone and every place better than you found it. I think about that every day and I try to do it in everything I do. Like people in every conversation, how can I leave this person better? Every place I go, how can I leave it cleaner than it was when I left? You know, every, uh, company that we invest in, how can I leave it better than when we invested in it? Like I just constantly am thinking through that frame. And so I think that's what I would leave them with.
0: That is so beautiful. I love it. My daughter has a shirt that says, leave it better than you found it. And that's what I made it. me think of uh, when you said that. I love this so much. This has been amazing. So I, everyone should definitely check out, you know, you, you and Alex run everything together. So I'm, I, I want to say that I know you guys in terms of things people can go support you with are the, the books, right? $100 million offers was a phenomenal book. I've talked about it a lot um, in, in my circle, in my community, uh, but $100 million leads will be out by the time this episode is, is there. So like that's the next book in the series. Where can people find those books? Any other resources you want to push their way other than your YouTube channel? Let me know what we should push people to.
1: I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, at the time this is airing, I think uh, $100 million leads will be out. So if you go to acquisition.com slash books, you can go there to see uh, where all the different formats are available. Um, And I think uh, we're going to pre-release some things on the website. And then eventually they should be like widespread amongst most formats where you can find a book. (laughs)
0: Amazing, check it out. Their content is phenomenal. These guys are doing incredible things. And one thing I will just say that I really admire about both of you guys, Layla, is uh, you're 100% authentic. From day one, ever since I started seeing y'all's content years ago, it's like you've just shown up and you're like, This is what we think, this is what we believe, this is what we do. You're not trying to be something else, or like you said earlier, like game the system. It's just a breath of fresh air, and I think that's one reason why so many people are attracted to your content. Is it's like, oh, we we're so attracted to people who just feel fully free as who they are, and are putting something out there, and they're not really you're not asking for anything. You're just like, here, this will help you, and and it's so magnetic. So just kudos to you for continuing that, and even like you said in a couple of months ago, like pivoting your content to make it fit your life and feel more authentic to what you value, what you want to do in the season. Uh, I just think it's really refreshing and rare. Well,
1: thank you, Graham. I, uh, I hope other people see it. And if they're inspired by it, I just say like, dude, do it for you. Like we need more people that put out content of who they are rather than like a watered down version of like who somebody else on the internet is.
0: Agreed. Layla, thank you so much for your time. This has been great. Thank you, Graham. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Layla. I know I did. It was a lot of fun. It was worth the wait to get her on the calendar. Uh, and if you're listening to this episode in real time, Layla and her husband, Alex, just recently launched the book, A Hundred Million Dollar Leads, which we alluded to at the end of the episode. You can pick up the book now. It is for sale now. Go to slash books, or you can buy wherever books are sold. Uh, I'm a huge fan of their material and the way they both think about business. Uh, and so I I got a lot of value out of Alex's first book, $100 million offers, and I think you're gonna get a lot of value out of both. So go pick it up, enjoy, grow your business, and hey, embrace the way you were made, the way you were wired to run your business and build a business around your strengths. Don't be like everybody else. Be you and be okay with it. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Have an amazing week. I'll see you next week.